0: It's good to be in God's house and to worship him. I do pray that the Lord would have his way with us in all that we're doing. Today, as that slide says, we're going to be in the gospel of John. We're picking up this morning in chapter 1, and in verse 19, uh, the plan is to go as far as verse 34, where we're going to learn a lot about John the Baptist today. John the disciple is writing about John the Baptist and letting us know. Um, th- it's something really neat about this. When we did the overview, if you were here, John is giving like, hey, I, I, I saw with my own eyes. I touched with my own hands. This is a personal witness. And now what he's gonna do here when he's introducing or defining John the Baptist, he uses John's own words. There's quotes that he uses just to say, look, God told him this, this is what he saw, this is what he did. You got, y'all you take it up with God kind of a thing. And I just love that though. So again, we're seeing this reality of, of truth and of personal uh, witness. When I think of our court systems and the way that, that judgments are decided in court, if there is, is witnesses that can validate what's going on, that, then we make judgment calls on that. I'm not saying that they're always right. At all, I've been in some court cases that were n- not against me, but I was character witnesses and stuff, where I even had information, and even the judge had information that was completely different than what the jury had. But the judge wasn't even allowing me to say the truth in the courtroom, and the wrong person went to jail. And I was not, and I'm not even allowed to talk about that. To, um, so I, you didn't hear that. But uh, all I'm saying is, it, it's not always right. But if it was to be done right, we have the facts, we make decisions on the facts and that's what's taking place in John. Hey, this isn't just some hearsay. This isn't just something that somebody said or some story or whatever. This wasn't a dream I had. I literally saw Jesus is what they're saying. He is really, really God. And John will define that uh, for us, Uh, quoting the other John. John the Baptist. So join me in a word of prayer and then we'll dig into his word. Father, quiet our busy minds, I pray. And Lord, would you have your way with us individually, corporately together, your Ecclesia. Thank you that you have called us the beloved and your called out ones. Help us to know your heart. Thank you so much of preserving your word that we might be able to read and study today. Change us. God, I pray not one of us would leave the same, that we know you a little bit more or a lot more. Lord, have your way with us. Open our eyes, our hearts, our minds, Lord, to the, the wonders of your kingdom. Help us to understand your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. John chapter 1 starting in verse 19 I'll read through 34 and then we'll jump back and define what we're and discuss what we're talking about now this is the testimony of John this is John the Baptist when the Jews sent priests and levites from Jerusalem to ask him who are you he confessed and he did not deny but confessed I am not the Christ And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, no, I'm not. Are you a prophet? He answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who have sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. Now, those who were sent were, the, were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptized with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who is coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap." I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bathabra, or your Bible might say Bethany, beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and remained upon him. I did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So another eyewitness testimony now from John the Baptist where last week we were seeing kind of an introduction of John and Jesus. Now we're focusing radically upon John the Baptist, the one, as he said, even of himself, I am that voice of crying in the wilderness to make straight the way of the Lord. And I just love how 34 says, I've seen, I've testified, this is. Here's the facts. I just, I love this, y'all. And I pray that every one of us would have moments like this with the Lord. God told me this and this happened. And they just kind of become faith builders. I'm sure that you've had moments like that. When God was asking you to do something or you were praying and you read his word and then boom, God gave you that answer. Cling to those, beloved. Those are beautiful things from God. My mom used to call them kisses from heaven sometimes or touches from God. And for John in the ministry that he had, you guys... He's literally turning the world upside down. What he said out of his own mouth, God sent me to come out here and to baptize. For a Jewish person in that culture to baptize literally meant that they were denouncing Judaism because John baptized for the remission of sin. But the Jewish law, the law of Moses, you had to, without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sin. He was completely flipping the world upside down. So the Pharisees in the then and there were really losing their minds. What in the world are you doing? This is not what Moses said. What you are doing is wrong. But they asked some interesting questions. Are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Are you one of the prophets? Why? We'll talk about that more in a little bit because the prophets testified that before Messiah came, there would be one, as they quoted the book of Isaiah, that would prepare the way of the Lord. And John's basically saying, I'm not the Messiah. I'm the one who's just preparing the way. I'm the opener. He is everything. This whole thing here is John the Baptist and what he said out of his own mouth, his own words to those who asked. Now, perhaps you may not be familiar with Pharisees and why would these people even come and ask such a question? Pharisees in the then and there were people who were born of the priestly line, the line of Aaron. You might even say the order of Melchizedek. In Moses's day, though they were not really called Pharisees back then, but it's the same bloodline. When Jesus even spoke of these people, he said, your fathers did this before you. But in Moses's day, they carried the tabernacle intended to all of the tabernacle duties. Then in Jesus's day, they were born of that same priestly line, but they attended to all of the temple duties. And what happened over time is these guys, these priests, they were born into the the priestly lineage. They started to depart from the word of God. It's a long story, but what the Pharisees became famous for was adding to the scripture. Chiefly, their addings were things that benefited them but at the cost of the people, like a political system. And in the then and there for the Jewish people, it really was priest and political kind of a system. God was supposed to be the only leader. It became so bad that in Eli's day, a young boy named Samuel, God was raising up to change the whole known world. And this is why. Because in 1 Samuel 3 1, the Bible says, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. Because of sin, because of disobedience to God, understanding God's heart, understanding God's will, being obedient to the Lord, even hearing him, was hindered. As the Bible says, it was very rare. We see this a lot when we study the scriptures, what's known as the history books, the kings and the judges. If you've read those books, you see this bipolar roller coaster ride of good king, bad king, good king, bad king. And so there was even bad priest or some good priest. There was even some good judges and bad judges. You just see this radical swing. So God raised up prophets to testify of his word. John is one of those. This no widespread revelation kind of culminates in what's called the silent years. In our Bible, in the canon of our scripture. The last Old Testament book, if you're Italian, is Malachi. If you're not Italian, it's Malachi. Stupid joke. But what to admit that it was stupid, even got a better laugh. It's the last book in in the the Old Testament as we have it. It, it, After that, that gap between Malachi and literally John the Baptist who we're reading right now is is a time where God didn't speak that much. He did speak to a few people, but no widespread revelation like it used to be when they weren't so bad. It's known also as the 400-year gap or some people call it the inner period from Malachi to John the Baptist, the one who was crying out, make way for the Lord. Historically, we know this to start around uh, 420 BC and for simplest terms, 1 AD, everything is over. <clears throat> now I did feel the Lord put a burden on my heart about this as well because I know that we have a lot of people now that are new to expository teaching. And a lot of times what takes place is questions then come up about all of the other books that we don't have inside our Bible. Those questions typically come from the silent years, books known as Deuterocanical books, or we might know them better as the Apocrypha, like the Catholic or the Orthodox Bible. And then questions sometimes come up as to why don't we have those in our Bible? Well, as the scripture said, many of them were written where there was no widespread revelation from God. So when the canon of the scripture was being developed, it was like, well, we know God didn't speak that much back then. We know that that he made an emphasis here and his presence was here more. And then after John, John the Baptist as well. There's also what's known as pseudoprographical writings. It's like the book of Enoch or the Jubilees or some of the Maccabees, extra books apparently that Ezra wrote. I'm just saying this is a side note for Bible knowledge that there were some books that were written that we don't have and sometimes that can become challenging with Christians especially with new believers or people who who are new to really digging in to the Bible and i and the burden that i felt god placed on my heart in, in hope to set every mind and every heart at peace with the word of god the majority of these Uh, pseudepigraphical or deuterocanical writings. They're not like more information than we already have about Jesus because the most important thing, beloved, I think that we need to know about the word of God is is the word of God is a book about Jesus. It's not a book about, and it's all of the so-and-so begotten, so-and-so begotten, so-and-so begotten, that really boring thing with all those names that we can't really explain, we can't even say right. They're in there for a purpose. It's showing us how Jesus came to earth from from Adam all the way to Mary. That's why we have the books and the order in which they went. Now, some of the historical books are giving us the genealogies. And so it gives us the the accurate record of Jesus, who is high priest, chief forever, who was born king and king priest. That's why we don't have many of those other books. Some of the books are even quoted within our Bible, like like the book of Enoch. And why don't we then read the book of Enoch? um, Well, it's an interesting history book, but it was found after the book of Jude and the the earliest copy of just say that one book Enoch was 500 years after he died. We also found in, in, even in the Dead Sea Scrolls, many different copies that they all didn't line up. So it was viewed and still is today by the majority of the Christians is not necessary. I've read Enoch a few times. There's nothing in it that's gonna teach you more than what we already know in the canon of our scripture. So beloved, I, I pray, that, well, and let me say this too. Um, Jesus declared, behold, the scroll of the book is written of me. That's in Psalms 40. Hebrews chapter 10 also talks about this and it, it repeats, it's quoting literally Psalms 40, but it gives us a lot more detail. All of that in a nutshell, everything about this book is pointing us to Jesus Christ. And a lot of the pseudepigraphicals are not. They're just books on wars or different journeys they took or, or other spiritual events that were taking place. So I don't ever want you to feel like, well, we don't have enough, or can I really trust the word of God? Listen, the the Bible, behold, the scroll of the book is written of me. This is Jesus. It's, It's that we might know Jesus, sometimes even in American culture, and I love America, don't get me wrong, but the devil's pretty good at giving us pride. We think this is a book about us, and in that, we're wrong. This is a book about Jesus and how to know him, and if he's truly is God, then how does that apply to me? Right, those are the biggest questions. Now John was dealing, jumping back into our today's text, John was dealing with a very rough crowd, these Pharisees. Our first applicational point, you and I might deal with a tough crowd from time to time too, but John always kept his eyes on Jesus. He always testified Jesus. He even said even of himself, man, I'm not that guy. I'm just the one preparing the way. And I think it's a really good way for every Christian to live in good times and in bad times. Here's Jesus. That is just Jesus. Now, Jesus himself had a lot to say about John the Baptist too. And I felt a burden from the Lord to quote our King, King Jesus, in his words about John the Baptist. And that's in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 18 and and 28. And Jesus talked about John the Baptist a lot, but this is probably the the biggest section of scripture. I think it's really important for us and it speaks life to us today. Literally, the, the words that Jesus will use to describe John and talk about him could change our life. It could change our Monday. It can come off the pages of the book, penetrate our heart and change who we are as people. The word of the Lord, Luke Luke 7, starting in verse 18, then the disciples of John reported him concerning all things. This is John the Baptist calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And when the men had come down to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? I think if we're really honest, every single one of us have thought that. Is it really you? Is this really how things are gonna unfold? Are you the one or do we look for another? Is this really the right way? Really, this was your plan for my life. It's almost like John is saying in this moment, Jesus, I believe, because I know what God told me yesterday, but I'm having a really hard time now believing that what's taking place is right. I'm beginning to doubt. I'm really unsure about what's right right now. He knew that he was the one to prepare the way of the Lord. Could it be that he thought a little further down that order than he was supposed to? Prepare the way of the Lord. Well, he did prepare the way of the Lord, but now in this section of scripture, Jesus is referencing John who was thrown in prison and literally is on death row. And so it's from prison where John's from death row, where he said, brings in some of his guys looking out maybe a barred thing or chained up to to something. And, And he's saying, I'm the one that God called out by name. He, said, he spoke to me. He told me that, that when I saw the spirit come down and rest upon, that is Messiah. I saw that. I did everything that God asked me to do. Why am I in prison? Are you the one or do we look for another? Could it be that he thought more? Could it be that he had a preconceived idea even of what God said? I think sometimes with us, when things go different than we thought they were supposed to, I don't wanna show a hand on this one at all, but God, really, this is the spouse that you have for me? God, really, these are the way my kids are gonna act? God, you sent me to school to study, but now this is killing me. Is this really what you want? God, you told me to move here, but I never saw what was coming. This list could go on and on and on. As often as the lights are flickering, it could just go go like that. Just keep happening and happening and happening. Are you the one or do we look for another? Jumping back to what Jesus said, hey, this is John, and when his guys came to me, they asked me this question, and Jesus is saying, this is basically what I said to them, in verse 21, Jesus picks up, and that very hour, he cured many infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to bind, and to many blind, he gave sight, and Jesus answered and said to them, go tell John the things that you have seen and heard that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And, and tell John this, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed is he whose preconceived idea doesn't pull them away. Blessed is he who thought it should have been different and doesn't get mad at me for it doesn't blame me for it or blame other people. Jesus is basically saying to John, everything that you knew was gonna happen is happening, but just not the way that you thought it was gonna happen. Everything the prophet said is happening. And buddy, you did your part. John, don't be offended because you had a different idea than I did. John, know that I love you and I am with you. I will never give up on you, never give up on me. In Isaiah 55, eight, we're reminded of this beautiful thing. The Lord says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. Sometimes that verse to me is like a yeah, like a touchdown scream. And other times it's like, I know. And it can be so hard. In verse 24 of Luke's gospel, Jesus speaking of John, when the messengers of John departed, he, Jesus, began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. And this is what Jesus says about John. What did you go to the wilderness to see? We saw here that he's down, he's south of the Sea of Galilee, in in the Bethany region, north of the Dead Sea, in in the Jordan River. What did you go to the wilderness to see? A reed that was shaken by the wind? But what did you go see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are. What is that word? Gorgeously, My notes are messed up. Appareled and live in, in luxury or in king's courts. Who did you go to see? Did you go to see something that you would really value, that you thought was really, just really, really something? Had real nice clothes, and in their mind, they'd be like, yeah, that's the dude that was clothes and cam- you know, camels hair and a belt. Guy that ate locusts and honey, slept in a cave. This dude, I would nah, no. We <laughs> were going out there to see a king. No, not at all. Luxurious? No. But what did you see? This is Jesus. A prophet? And Jesus says, yes, I say to you more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will repair your way before you. Jesus' reply is, a prophet? Yeah, but I tell you it's even more than that. Jesus will even say in another place that 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 no one is greater. Literally look at the next verse. For I say to you among those born of women there is not one greater or not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. And I love this too. I mean, John, you know, this is what's going on, and this is Jesus talking to him, but Jesus is also speaking to the crowd, and beloved, I believe to us today too. What did we go to see? What did we expect when we went to church? What did we expect when we became a Christian? What did we expect when we started reading the Bible? What did we expect when God started using us? What did we expect when the Holy Spirit came inside of us? What did we expect when good people did dumb things to us? What did we expect when dumb people did dumb things to us also? What was our expectation? What about those times when God used you radically and you laid hands on somebody and they were healed or the dead rose or the blind seed or saw... (laughs) What about when you you prayed for someone and they were healed? What about when you, you shared the gospel with somebody and it changed their life and you literally saw a spiritual dead person come to life? What about when God really gave you a word from heaven and it really changed the environment around you? What about when God gave you that job that just changed your life? What if one of us was John the Baptist? What if, what if we were greater than even the prophets? That's what Jesus is saying. What if you could do the greatest of the greatest things? And then Jesus takes everybody's thinking around them and he, and he grabs them into this funnel and shoves every human thought into this one thing, heaven. Don't look at all this stuff around here. If you did anything that was great, you only did it because God allowed you to do that. And don't let that thing that was so amazing take your eyes off of heaven. So many times in the church, what takes place is we begin to worship the gift rather than the gift giver. We, we begin to, to, to think even things that we have are ours. And then that kind of puts a wedge between us and heaven, Anything that we have, listen, I'm, just gonna, I'm gonna be very point blank in all love and grace. I'm in the same pot too. We all were made from dirt. At best were dirt bags. <laughs> dirt bags that got filled with the Holy Spirit. The breath of God came inside us. He made us different people. We brought absolutely nothing to the table, nor will we ever. Jesus is Everything. And when Jesus starts moving through us and doing things and our eyes get open to the word and wow, and God gave me a word for this person or or God did this through my life or whatever, Jesus takes all of those things and he puts them into that funnel. and, and And he basically is saying, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. There's two aspects to the kingdom of God. Jesus will go on throughout the gospel and say the kingdom is here now. But he's also pointing us to the kingdom of God in heaven. And the least of the person who is actually there is better than anybody that's on this planet, even if it was John the Baptist, even if it was the great. So no matter how great God might do something in and through us, don't ever let that thing pull us away from the awe and wonder of one day heaven. Amen. One day I will see Jesus face to face. Amen. Perhaps you're familiar with that story when Jesus sends out his disciples and he, and he says, I send you as sheeps among wolves. Heal the sick. Set free the captives. Preach the gospel of the kingdom." And they come back to him and they're just ecstatic. They're just jumping for joy. It's like, wow. And of all the things they could have said, even, they say this, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And then Jesus looks up to heaven. I saw Satan fall. But then he looks to the guys and he says, but don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your name is known in heaven almost the exact same thing that's being said. No matter how God might use you, don't forget this is the small potatoes. Everything that we have here is gonna burn with vehement heat. And all of the gifts of the spirit and all of the knowledge that we have is gonna mean absolutely nothing as the Bible declares to us that the only thing that's gonna remain is love. Because there's gonna be no need for all of that because in heaven, we're gonna be with King Jesus. And for those who can dwell, walk in the kingdom of God, you will see God move through you in the here and now that'll blow your mind. It's mind-blowing to think that God wants us more than we even want him. When Jesus says, hey, don't forget this. Whoever's the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. It's like God calling out, I wanna be with you so bad, I can't wait to be with you. I mean, just let that thought resonate. That Jesus literally left heaven and he literally came down to earth because he wanted you. He left everything that we live for to hear, right? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You were faithful. A few things I'll make you ruler over many. Enter to the joy of the Lord. That's our goal. However, everything's gonna go. I just wanna be in heaven. That's the main goal. Be in heaven, be in heaven, be in heaven. But Jesus left heaven so that he could be with us and that he could save us. It's mind-blowing to think that God wants us more than we even want him. It's almost kind of like, why? How, God? How is there a love like this? But thank you. Thank you, God. Jumping back in the text, I love how John answers questions, how, how John the disciple uses John the Baptist's own words to answer questions. And, and, and when the Pharisees are all, what's going on? How's this? How's that? And he's like, no, I'm not that. I'm not that. I'm not that. But what he does do is he goes to the word of the Lord and he quotes scripture. He quotes Isaiah 40 verse three. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And there's something about Isaiah 40. If you use um, the King James or the, or the New King James, or I doubt anybody has a Geneva Bible right now. If you do, I'd like to buy it from you. But <clears throat> um, uh, there's something that I also think is important to know at the Bi- about the Bible, that with the New King James Version or the King James or even what the Geneva Bible was all about. Now, the other more modern Bibles, they don't really do this. But, but new King James and King James does. what our Bible, our Old Testament, is from the Hebrew language, from Hebrew to English. And our New Testament comes from the Greek, and then it goes from Greek into English. Most other Bibles will go from the Aramaic, then back into English. Or originally went from Greek to Aramaic and then they go back into Greek sometimes and then into English. That's why I don't really teach from those other versions. The the King James or the New King James takes the most direct path. Old Testament is Hebrew to English and the New Testament is Greek into English. But with that being said and why I'm bringing it up is because if you're looking in your Bible and now you're looking at this verse that I put up here, the Isaiah uh, 40 verse three that's, that's in John's account is a little bit different than what's in Isaiah's account. And there is a reason for that too. And sometimes with people who are new to the word of God, this would be like, well, what in the world's going on? And this is, this is why and how it happened. Because in our Bible, our Old Testament comes straight from the Hebrew directly into English. And then our New Testament goes from Greek into English, So that's why, like, when we're quoting a verse, if you go back to Isaiah, you'd say, well, it's actually a little bit different. And it is because of the language gaps that were there. Now, with, and I think it's just important that the house of God know that because if a scoffer or somebody doubting comes up to you, well, what about this? What about that? Now you know the answer. In our Bible, the Old Testament was written from the Hebrew language and sometimes even Aramaic. It was, but majority, it came from the Hebrew and then it's translated into English. And our New Testament was Greek, the common language of the day, and then that went in to English. And so when you have those translations, sometimes the word's a little bit different. Now, it doesn't mean that the Bible was wrong in one place or it was something else in another place. It just means they, that they use those languages and so that's where they got. I, again, I just... One of the big burdens for today that the Lord put on my heart is trust the word of God and believe in him. We have more than enough. And you look at all the different denominations and opinions and stuff like that. We're not doing a really good job with what we got. We we certainly couldn't handle any more. Another really neat verse about John the Baptist that just shed lights on even the the scriptures that we're reading today is in the book of Malachi or Malachi, however you wanna pronounce it. And it's really why the Pharisees are coming to him and asking him the questions that they did. And in Malachi chapter four, starting in verse five, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. You remember they asked him, are you Elijah? Because they knew that Elijah would come. Behold, I send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And I will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children. To their fathers least I come and strike the earth with a curse are you the Messiah or are you Elijah because we know that stuff like this is going to take place beforehand Jesus who even says in another place that that literally this like this the whole the way the Holy Spirit moved through Elijah was the same way that he was moving through John the Baptist are you the Messiah or are you Elijah because we know the prophecies Something else that I think that's very interesting too, when John was asked, are you a prophet? He says, no, but Jesus said he was a prophet. Yeah, and he was even greater than all of the prophets. So why was that taking place? Again, I think that speaks life to us today too. I don't think John knew everything that God had in store for him. Obviously, when he was from jail and he's saying, are you you the coming one or do we look for another? His idea was a little bit different. That applies to us in a, in a big way. But also when, when he was asked, are you this prophet? And he says, no, I'm not. But Jesus said, he is a prophet. And yay, I even say greater than a prophet. So how does this take place? And beloved, I think that this happens to us too. Do you know every, God, every purpose and plan that God has for you? None of us do. Even if we know, even if we're exactly doing 100% of what he's asking us to do right now, we do not know what tomorrow has in store. God may have even given you words about the future, and that still doesn't mean that it is the end. We don't know. I think one of the things that we learned today is that just trust God. Just trust God. Believe in his word and trust God. That's what John the Baptist did And that becomes a radical application point for us. Even when the whole world doesn't get it, trust the word and trust God. Stay faithful to him no matter what's going on. Of the prophet Jeremiah, God says in Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. (laughs) None of us know that. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. In the context, Jeremiah is basically saying, I don't think it's me. And then God says, life does begin at conception because I formed you in your mother's womb. And before you even born, your purpose and your plan was laid out. And I'm trying to just get you back right on the the straight and narrow right now, buddy. Of Amos... The prophet Amos, he says in 7:14, I was no prophet, nor a son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of the sycamore fruit. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock. Amos is just saying, "Man, I'm a shepherd and a farmer. This ain't in my bloodline or nothing. I was just going on about life and God took me right where I was and he and he filled me with his words." Moses was a shepherd until God showed up in a burning bush. The man's shoes came off and his whole life changed. David was a shepherd until God showed up with a man named Samuel and anointed him as king. Nehemiah was a prisoner of war, he was just the cupbearer but God. Daniel was a prisoner of war as well too young to be any good. But God, we may not understand what God is doing. I don't think John did. And I so appreciate this because it speaks life to us today that, yeah, things don't always go the way that we expect them to, or maybe the way that we even want them to go. But God always is doing something. And Jesus gave an amazing review of John. If this was a Yelp review or a Google review, I mean, Jesus is hitting it out of the ballpark to say of John the Baptist, prophet, yeah, greater than all the prophets. Any human ever born, no one will ever be like that guy. It's a pretty good review. God told me to say this. Jesus has the same review for you. Because when David was being called by God, he was the runt of his family rejected by his own dad. A lot could be said about that. But God speaks to the prophet Samuel. And David's just out there being a shepherd boy. And the Lord said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16:7, "Do not look at his appearance. <laughs> How would you like somebody to say that about you? Ah, <laughs> uh, just just look over the way they look. <laughs> <You know? laughs> or at his his physical stature because our brother was a short dude. You know God loves short guys. um, Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him as a, a reference of his brothers, of his birthright, of his brother, of his military prowess, of his strength. I have refused him. For God does not see as a man sees. For God looks, or for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at his heart. Jesus ended up even saying of himself that he came of the line of David. Your past may have some wrong turns, beloved. Your past may have a few potholes that are still there. You may feel like Moses did. Moses killed a guy. I don't know if you know that. That's what made him leave Egypt. He was running for his life. He's like a refugee. The Bible even says that he wasn't even a good communicator. You might feel like you're not the right person for the job, but God picked Moses by, by, he picked him out. You might be like David, you know, you're not good enough. There's nothing about you that's kingly. There's nothing about you that makes you a warrior. But God turned the world upside down with David. It might be like Daniel that you think you're too young You might be like Noah, who was way too old. You might be like Jonah, who just made a really, a whole lot of dumb decisions, but God still used them. You may be Esther. She was just in the right place at the right time. Maybe like Ruth, who lost everything that she ever had, but God sent a kinsman redeemer. Perhaps you're like Mary, who's just a normal gal. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up and says, rejoice, highly favored one. Be available and open to God. Trust his word, even if it doesn't make sense sometimes. Beloved, I promise you that God has got a plan for each and every one of us. You are not a oops, regardless of what you were ever told in your past or the voices in your head said or what you think when you look in the mirror. God has got a plan for every kid, every millennial, every Gen Xer, every Gen Z, every boomer, and every elder, old, young, rich, poor, man, woman, boy, girl, every color of skin, every language, every nation. God's got a plan with every marriage, every single. He's got a plan with every high and every low. He's got a plan for every job that we will ever have, every house that we will ever live in, every car that we will ever drive. In 2 Peter 1 Verses three and four, it speaks of God doing this as his divine power has given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Did you catch that? As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things are set up on the table. It's prepared before us. Even if the table is prepared before us in the presence of our enemy, He has still all things pertaining to life and godliness. Now watch this, through the knowledge of Jesus who called us by glory and virtue. Beloved, get into the word of God. That's how we're, how how will the young man cleanse his way? But by taking heed according to his word. Get in the word of God. How are we gonna know God? That we might know his statutes, we might know his purposes and his plan, getting into the word of God, that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That we could be set free by just pressing into Jesus Christ. Don't worry about all the stuff around here. Worry about the kingdom of heaven. Because that's great. Don't worry about all the the boom, the bang, the demons are subject to it, all that. Now rejoice that you're known in heaven. This is so beautiful. Dig into the word, learn to hear his voice. Live with spiritual integrity. God was very specific. I had to say this word live with spiritual integrity. Treat your spiritual health better than your physical health. Live with spiritual integrity. John magnifies the Lord in all things. He's, he says he's the reason that I've, I'm even here and he's everything that I'm all about. And then verses 29 through 34, John basically says, everything I said, this is how it unfolded. God spoke to me from heaven and said, the spirit was gonna come down and, 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 and I saw him. It's totally him. God told me I would know as soon as I saw that spirit and I did, just like God said. And then in closing, the proclamation of King Jesus given through John the Baptist is not by chance. It wasn't just something that just happened, but a divine heavenly oracle from God. And that statement is behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I love the exclamation points. Behold was like, hey, heads up. Liz, everybody, listen. There he is. There is the king. There is the all in all. There is the lamb of God. There is the prophesied one. There is the Messiah, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of of the world and Jesus still does Jesus is still Savior, he is still Messiah and he will be forever behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world if you are not walking with Jesus Jesus said repent and believe if you are walking with Jesus seek him more and worship him, never forget wise men still seek Jesus that's not just a Christmas saying, that's an everyday saying. Wise men, wise women still seek Jesus. If you are in here and you're not walking with Jesus, you know that you're, one day you are closer with the Lord than you are today. I believe that the solution is still the same, repent. Repent and believe, fresh and anew. Say, God, I'm sorry for the things I made it. whatever. Please forgive me. Help me to be on that straight and narrow path again. It's really that simple, you guys, if we mean it from our heart because behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and beloved, he is coming back one day. He is coming back real soon. The Bible even says that he's at the door. If you don't know Jesus, today is the best day you will ever have to give your life to Jesus. Whatever plans you had to be doing after church or on Monday or whatever, I tell you, Jesus is better than that. Jesus has come as we are. He doesn't say, go home and get everything cleaned up and then, and then come in. He says, come as you are. All you are weary laden. Jesus touched lepers, y'all. He didn't tell them to go clean. He just said, come here. Woman with the issue of blood, if she touches, if he touches her, she touches him, Jesus ain't allowed to do nothing according to their law. But Jesus didn't miss a beat. She reached up, long story short, she reached up there and touched him. And then he's like, who, who just touched me? And the disciples, you guys know the story. Like, bro, you're crazy. There's 100 people out here. What do you mean who touched you? And, and the, but that woman was moved to the core because she knew she was healed like this. She came as she was, and everything changed. You and I come today as we are to a God who can save. Behold the Lamb of God who can take away the sin of the world. The worship team is gonna come up. There's gonna be some prayer counselors up here that would love to pray with you guys about anything at all. I'll be out in the foyer outside, answer any questions that you guys might have. Beloved, let us live for the King, amen. Father, may your grace fall upon us. God, I pray for those that perhaps don't know you. God, I pray that the work of the enemy would be bound in Jesus' name, that, we, that they might believe and repent. I pray for those that are just not in places where they should be, God, I pray that you would light that fire again, that your spirit would blow just, kind of just fresh and new on that fire. Give them the freshness of zeal. Help them to die to themselves. For those that are in a good place, God, be glorified in and through their life. Bless them. Make your face to shine upon them. Give them your peace. May all the worries of the world become very small in light of eternity. Stamp eternity on our eyes, oh God that we might ever be first mindful of your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that we